0: So, if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope everyone does, please turn with me to Luke 10, where we finished last week. Luke 10, and we're going to start this week at verse 25. <clears throat> so Luke ten twenty five. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law, and how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. My heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the gift of your word. And this morning, as we open the word to reveal your truth, I pray that you open our hearts and our ears to whatever it is that you may want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, if you were here with us, during our look at Jesus' prayer of thanksgiving, you remember that we needed to clarify two things. Who Jesus meant when referring to the wise and the knowledgeable, and who Jesus meant when referring to the little children. And we suggested that the little children were those who have opened their hearts to the truth and approached God with this simple childlike faith, i.e. the disciples, as as an example. And the wise and the knowledgeable were those who had closed their hearts to the truth and didn't want to see or to hear it, i.e. another example that we looked at was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the, the religious leaders, of the time and within this encounter with the lawyer in our passage today me we may well see the character who fits within this bracket of the wise and the knowledgeable someone who is failing to see or choosing not to see the simplicity of the scriptural truths presented before him today we will focus on the first question the lawyer asks Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then next week, we will focus upon the second question the lawyer asks Jesus, who is my neighbour? So you need to be here for both. This week, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Next week, we will focus upon who is my neighbour? So Luke begins in verse 25, and he says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to test him. Now we don't know where this encounter is taking place. Luke doesn't tell us. But wherever Jesus is in this moment, we know one thing to be sure, that he's en route to where? Jerusalem. He's en route to Jerusalem. And it's reasonable to suggest that Jesus, in this moment, was teaching a group of people, quite probably, because we are told that this lawyer, this person, stood up to speak to Jesus. So who was this person, is that first question that we must ask ourselves. Well, as we've already seen, Luke refers to him as a lawyer, but it's not a lawyer as we would understand a lawyer today. In the context of Luke's writings, a lawyer could be equated to an expert in the religious law. An expert in a religious law, quite probably a scribe. A scribe being someone who would study, interpret, copy and teach the Jewish law for the people of the day, i.e. the writings of the Pentateuch, the first five books of of our Bibles that we have. Now, unfortunately, as has been the case during Jesus' ministry, this lawyer doesn't seem to want to be there necessarily to learn from Jesus, but to test him, as many have done beforehand, and there will be many others, as we see, as we journey through Luke, who will do again. And he asks Jesus this question, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. Now, as is often the case with Jesus, he doesn't always reply by answering the direct question he's being asked, does he? Jesus is a master at throwing the question back round and getting, answering the question with a question. Answering the question with a question. That can be a bit frustrating sometimes. But not for Jesus, because he is the master at doing it. And there's always a reason why Jesus does something. In this case, he replies by asking the lawyer two questions. What is written in the law and how do you read it? How do you read it? It's that second question that that made me pause, which we'll come on to in a moment. How do you read it, he asks the lawyer. And the lawyer answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself." The answer the lawyer gives is made up of two Old Testament passages. The first you'll find in Deuteronomy 6:5, which simply says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. And we'll please some homework after that. If you want to f- understand the context, please go back to Deuteronomy six and read. And the second part of that is found in Leviticus nineteen eighteen, which, and I quote, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love, the, uh, love your neighbour as yourself. And in answering Jesus, this lawyer combines these two scriptural passages into what he believes are the two most important commands that God gave his people, the nation of Israel, in order for them to in- inherit eternal life. And he answered satisfactorily because Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly, um, do this and you will live. So gold star for uh, for the lawyer there. And I haven't forgotten about your gold star, Ron, wherever you are. You need a gold star from last week. Now these two commands, when combined, are commonly known and referred to within Christendom as what? The greatest commandments. Okay? The greatest commandments. Why? Because summarised within these two commands are the essence of all the law and all the commands of God given to the Jewish nation and then inherited by us, the church of Jesus. Which was confirmed by Jesus when he said, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Now these commands have also been referred to as the law of of love, because not only do they deal with our relationship to God, but they deal with our relationship toward each other. Relationship to God, relationship to each other. One naturally flows uh, out of the other. Without a right relationship with God, our relationship with each other just wouldn't be right. And I think we can see that in the world around us. But before we move on, I just wanted to draw your attention to something I found rather interesting. And it refers to that that second question Jesus asks him. How do you interpret it? So, Jesus has asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus counteracts his question by asking him, what is written in the law? In essence, how do you read it? How do you articulate it? The lawyer go, gives Jesus his summary of what the law says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. You love your neighbour as yourself. Now, in both Matthew and Mark's account of Jesus' life, they both document the events whereby Jesus is asked the question by religious leaders, what is the greatest commandment? In both accounts... Where is Jesus when the religious leaders ask him that question? What is the greatest commandment? Do you, where do you think he is? He's in Jerusalem. Okay? So in both Matthew and Mark's account, he is in Jerusalem on his final visit, when he's asked that question by the religious leaders. And what is the answer that Jesus gives on both of those occasions? You are. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus is answering the religious leaders' questions with the same answer the lawyer had given him whilst en route to Jerusalem in Luke's account of Jesus' life. So you could, you, you can't help but wonder, was it a leading question that Jesus was asking the lawyer? when he said, well, how do you read it? How do you articulate that? I mean, what better way to answer the similar questions that the religious leaders in Jerusalem were, were, did ask and were going to ask Jesus by using the same answer that he had got from one of their own whilst on route? It's quite interesting, isn't it? Now... In the time that we've got left, I want to explore the first of these two commands. And as we do, I want to remind ourselves, firstly, which love are we being commanded to love God with? Which love are we being commanded to love God with? And the second, what does it mean to love God with these four aspects of the human person? Heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then next week, when we look at the second question the lawyer asks, and also explore the parable Jesus shares, we will look a little closer at the second command that we have already read, which was to love your neighbour as yourself. So the lawyer's response to Jesus begins with, you shall love. What do we mean by love? Love is a word we use a lot in the English vocabulary and it can be used for many different contexts or in many different contexts and situations, that one word. We can use it. I'll give you an example. Kelly? I love you. Okay? I did mean that but I know. But we can use it in a romantic sense. Okay, that one word love can be used in a romantic sense. We can use that word love when we show affection, whether it's to a friend or a uh, a family member or a member within, you know, our, our, our church, our brotherly love, you know, that sisterly love. So we can use it in that context, but it's still the one word love. Or simply, we can use it when we're enthusiastic about something. I mean, what do you love? Shout out some of the things you love. Who loves chocolate? (laughs) Yeah? Who loves uh, sunshine? We haven't got much of that at the minute. Yeah? But we use it in that context as well. Same word, love, but in a different context than maybe what I would say, Kelly, I love you, in. Right? Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm trying to bypass you two to look through. So when we read, when we read, you are to love the Lord your God. What do we mean? And in what way are to we, lo- we are we to love God? Well, one of the things I'm really grateful for is John here. Because uh, John uh, has opened our eyes to uh, uh, understanding elements of the Greek language. Thank you, John. And I, I believe some people have actually gone a lot deeper. So good on you, Emily, wherever you are. <laughs> Unlike English, the ancient Greek language of our time has four primary root words of love. Eros, which means or refers to a romantic or, if you will, a sexual love. You have philia, a brotherly or sisterly or a friendly love. You have storge, which refers to a family love, or agape, which we often hear and often have referred to, which is this universal, unconditional love for others. He's, the Greek got some things right, didn't they? You know, at least there's eight, one word, depending on what you want to say, not one word that we use that can mean multiple different things. You could try and figure it out. But in this context, it is agape that is at the root of this English word love that we find in our passage today. I know many of you will know what agape is, but there are many of us that might not. Agape is almost always used to characterise, describe the love that is of and from God whose very nature is itself love. In John's first letter, he refers to God as God uh, God being loved. He says, God is love. This love that characterises God is not a soppy, sentimental, feeling love, as is often portrayed in many aspects of, of, of Christianity. God loves because that is his nature and it is an expression of his being. He loves the unlovable and the unlovely because, not because, sorry, we deserve to be loved or because of any excellence that we possess, but because it is his nature to love, and he must be true to his nature. Praise God for that. Agape, and I really want to get I really want you to if you don't take anything else away from here today, just take this simple saying Agape love is always shown by what it does. Agape love is always shown by what it does. And there is no better example of God's love than that which was displayed upon the cross in Calvary. Amen. And Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour, willingly sacrificed himself on our behalf to provide hope and freedom for those who would but repent, believe and place their trust in him. We read in the letter to the Ephesians this, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. What does it say? By grace, you have been saved. Praise God. We did not deserve such a sacrifice. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, as Paul writes in Romans 5. God's agape love is unmerited, is gracious, and is constantly seeking the benefit of the ones he loves. That's you and that's me. The Bible says we are the undeserving recipients of this lavish agape love summarised in 1 John. And he demonstrates this wonderful truth and grounds this wonderful truth by leading Jesus, the Son of God, to the cross for those whom he loves. Doesn't it make you... I don't know about you, but whenever I read that, or even I think that, I just feel so unworthy. <laughs> that God Almighty, the creator of the heaven and the earth, and as Dave said earlier, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end would care about little old me. It's, it's bonkers, really, when you think about it, isn't it? But this first command says that we are to love God with the same agape love. How do we do that? Well, firstly, we need to remind ourselves that agape is not an emotion in our hearts, but a principle by which we deliberately live. It is not based on feeling. Now, disclaimer. That doesn't mean we cannot have feeling toward God. It doesn't mean we can't express feeling. Of course we are. That's how he created us. Part of our our created being is to have feelings. So of course, you know, we want to show that. But this agape love isn't based upon feeling. It is a joyful resolve to put his will above and beyond our own will. And I think that is one of the hardest aspects of the Christian life. When we're in this tug- of war between the world and God, world and God, I think one of the hardest things that we face as Christians is to be able to surrender our will and put His first. It involves faithfulness. It involves commitment. And it ultimately involves an act of our will. An act of our will, something that we choose, something that we choose to give. But the first commandment doesn't just stop there with the command that we are to just love God with this agape love. It doesn't just stop there. He goes on and says we are to do it with our hearts. Our whole hearts. You could say our emotions. We are told we are to do it with our whole soul. You could say our consciousness. We are told we are to agape love God with our whole strength. You could say our motivation. And we are told to do so with our mind, our intelligence, our intellect. In essence, we must choose not just to love God, but we have to choose to do it with every aspect of our being. Every aspect of who we are. To give some examples, this is no way all of them, heart, heart. We are to show agape love when we choose to let God into our happiness, into our joy, into our surprise, as well as into our anger, our sadness, our fear, and our disgust. And allow the Holy Spirit to guide and minister through that instead of forgetting God or pushing God to the back of our mind when life is great and quite easily reacting as the world would react when the time is going bad. He wants every part of us, he wants us in, in the good and the bad, he wants us to place him first because he's the only one that can genuinely guide us through those times. He is the creator of compassion, of understanding, the whole reason Jesus came and walked this earth as a human, so we could understand what you go through, what you feel, how it hurts, but also the joy of life, is so he can relate to every one of us. So we give him our heart, every aspect of it. What about our souls? Closely linked with heart. But we show God agape love when we choose to place Him first. The moment our eyes open in the morning, the moment we are conscious of us being awake in the morning, if you will, we place God first and we do so until that moment where we drift drift off in the night and then we just leave it to Him to trust the care and love for us when we're asleep. Every part of your waking day, your thought, your deed, your actions should be revolved around God. Every part of it. When the Bible says, pray without ceasing, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to be on your knees for the whole day praying without ceasing. It's you keep God on your lips every moment of your day, whatever you're doing... I'll, pray to, I'll speak to God when I'm in, and I'll make, go into the kitchen there to make a cup of tea. I'll I'll chat to God making a cup of tea. I'll chat to God when I'm just walking through the town. Prayer is just communion. It's is is communion with God. He doesn't want us to be to to approach Him in this super religious sense that we only ever do in churches. He wants me with my faults, with my my failings. He just wants me to come before him as me. So what does it mean to give give him our whole souls? It means every part of the day I just say, look, Lord, I'm having a rubbish day today, but I'm going to praise you because of it. Or or in it, sorry, praise you in it. When I'm making the tea, I'll praise you and I'll talk to you. And I'm doing whatever, I'll praise you and I will talk with you. He's putting him first in all things. What about strength? We show God agape love when we choose not to be lazy Christians. Couch potato Christians. Obviously no one in this room. When we say the right things or we just show up at the right events. But choosing and willing to live every day dedicated to serving the Lord in whatever capacity I'm needed, not just what I want to do. There's nothing wrong with wanting to serve God in a particular way. But ultimately, what he's looking for is an open, willing heart. Say, Lord, use me. Wherever you need to, just use me for the greater good of your kingdom. So it's to be used in whatever capacity I'm needed, whatever the inconvenience all there, all you will find, I'm sure many of you have done, sometimes there's a real inconvenience of being a Christian and serving the Lord. He doesn't fit into your box or your time frame. right? But he'll say, now I want you to go and speak to that person. But my chicken's cooking. I've got to, you know. It doesn't matter. Right? God will call us wherever and whenever to serve in his kingdom. But with... Within that, again a disclaimer, that's within the limits of our physical and mental, and our mental ability to do so. Okay? God knows who we are. He knows what we're capable of. All right? So what about mind? How do we show agape love? Well, we do so with our minds when we choose to know him better, and there is no way that is um, one of the most effective ways for us to know him better is in here. The more we know him, the closer we are to him. One of the most important ways is the Bible. There are others, but one of them is the Bible. Now, I've written in my notes here, rant, <coughs> rant, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to rant, it's just a, a, a memory jog for me. I have had conversations with people who will turn around and say, oh, I'm, I'm just not interested in, that, 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 you know, in theology. I mean, just, just to, to cap that one, the moment you open this, you're doing theology. All right. The moment you read God's word, you are, you are in, you know, engaged in theology. But I get what they're trying to say. You know, I, I just know what I need to know. You know I, I don't need to know what all of these big theological words and what they mean and why we've got them. And, you know, I don't need to go into depth in studying God's word and understanding what that particular word means and the context of what it means. I, I don't need to know. I just know that God loves me. And I know that I'm just here to, 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 to care for people and just, you know, do what I can. You are missing out on so much of knowing who God is if you live your Christian life like that. I'm not saying that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But God calls us to know him. He calls us to know him. How do we know him? We know him by sitting and and, and choosing to actively open the word and say, Lord, I want to know you better today. Help me as I study this, as I look at this. I mean, how many people how, would, have, would read the word love all the way through our English Bibles and our mind will take us off to the only love we would know in the world, but not realise it's talk, talking of a different type of love? That's why sometimes, just looking at a word, it doesn't mean you've got to be a scholar. There are plenty of platforms out there we can go, what does this word mean in the Greek? Oh, now that, that, that passage has taken on a different meaning. I understand what, the, what he's getting at there because of that word. We are all called to know God better. And that requires us to not only go out into creation, because you can know God in creation. Yeah? It doesn't... It, it, it's, it's also us hanging out with each other as Christians, getting to know God through our collectiveness and our own experiences. But most importantly, it's opening the word and understanding the word. Don't fall into the trap of just saying, I, I know enough, I can get by. Because you are missing out on gold. There's always something to learn. God commands that we love him with every fibre of our creative beings that we are. He created us and he commands us to, to know him know him intimately. But the simple truth is that this is not impossible. It's not impossible because of our sinful nature. But the good news is that's why God sent his son Jesus to the earth. And that is why we now have the Holy Spirit as our helper. We can do all these things God calls us to We can fulfil all these commands, but only through him. Only through him. Can I invite the band up, please? Well, this morning we've had the... Privilege to explore the, um, this first encounter with Jesus and this lawyer as he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We read how Jesus, uh, being a skilled teacher, counteracted the lawyer with two questions of his own, what is written in the law and how do you read it? And we read that wonderful truth when he replied with his own understanding of the Lord's, uh, uh, his belief of the law, summarising it with these two passages from the Old Testament, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with your strength, and you will love your neighbour as yourself. And we have spent some time looking at the first command, reminding ourselves of the meaning of love and what is meant by loving God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind and strength. Next week, we will focus on the second question that the lawyer asks. Who is my neighbour? Who is my neighbour? And as we explore this powerful parallel, uh, parable, Jesus shares with this, law, this lawyer a parable which shows loving my neighbour in action. We will look at the second commandment that's contained within that. This love your neighbour as yourself. What does that mean to us? What does that mean to those around us? And this message today has really been a, a grounding for what we will come to look at next week. So please be here. Be here. On time to grab a seat. <laughs> or else we'll be sitting on each other's laps. Amen. 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 Over to you, Matt. Thank you.